hello and welcome to this special edition of Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Mann. Last week, we heard part one of a discussion between a rabbi, a priest, and an imam. The book of Exodus, chapter 15, verse 2 says, The Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. Today on Salt and Light Radio, we continue with part two of the discussion titled, This is my God which was taped live at the Beth Shalom Synagogue in Toronto. The panelists are Rabbi Aaron Flansreich of the Beth Shalom Synagogue, Imam Hamid Slimi, Chair of the Canadian Council of Imams, and Salt and Light's Father Thomas Rosica. The moderator is Stephen Skurka. Here is part two of This Is My God. Rabbi, Imam, and Father, we now turn to the question and answer format of the program. And I'm going to pose the first question to the panel at large, and I want to say this at the outset. If I ask a particular question and any of you don't feel comfortable about answering it, please feel free to pass on the question. Uh, there may also be questions that members of the audience want to pose specific to, specifically to one member of the panel, and please take the liberty of doing that as well. So this is a panel, this is a question I should say for the entire panel, and I'd ask if you could please share your views as to how your respective religion embraces tolerance and acceptance of other religions. Rabbi, would you like to deal with that first? I think uh, first and foremost what you find in Judaism is that under no circumstances would you find in any context the notion or the association that you have to be Jewish to be a good person. There's no context or association that one need to be Jewish to go to heaven. In fact, quite the contrary. When potential converts approach a rabbi, the first thing we suggest to them is that there is no need for them to convert, that they should remain the faith that they are only so long as that what they believe in embodies kindness and justice and mercy to other people. Judaism ultimately believes that we are not the truth because there are many truths in the world. What Judaism believes is that we are the truth for the Jews. And we hope that that truth inspires other people to good and kindness, a truthful living for themselves. Yes. Uh, from our perspective, um, what we see in the world today of the uh, marketing of religion, or there is a a school of thought that looks at proving others wrong. Every religion works hard to prove the other wrong. I call it the loser's attitude because you're trying to discredit to get credit rather than work your righteousness, show your goodness in your actions as we heard from both, from both speakers and I would definitely, 100% I agree with them. Uh, there is, uh, in Islam and Judaism, we have the, the notion of being orthoprax versus orthodox. Orthoprax is the Greek um, notion of correct practice versus correct belief. Uh, in Islam, you will find a lot of Muslims, is this the correct belief? And you have debates, theological debates over centuries, which fill the libraries. And it's all revolving about philosophical. As I like what you said, theology will never get us closer to God. It's all about thinking, and it's all interpretation of man. And unfortunately, a lot of interpretation of man is taken as the word of God. 
lot of the laws, which were interpretation of the laws, are taken as the laws of God. Even the problem when they find in what is Sharia, the Islamic law. Is it Sharia what was revealed to the Prophet and taught by him, or what was accumulated over 1400 years? What is really the law of God? What is the will of God? So the Quran answers this question about tolerance. The law says you have to do this in order to be Muslim. But also the Quran says you have to believe in this to be considered closer to God. So is it being orthodox or orthodox that will make me closer to God? Based on that view, people see others within the faith and outside the faith, how close and how far they are. And this is where we run into judging others. So we have a person who judge others being far from God within the faith, and others who are not within the faith are way farther from God. Whereas those who understand, you could find someone not from your faith, but you see all the qualities that the prophets and these virtuous people have taught us over the ages. So the Quran clearly says, Say, O Muhammad, let, let him, he who wants to believe, believe, and let him, he who does want to believe, not believe. So you cannot, as he said, you cannot give them faith. Faith is something between you and your Lord. You can teach, you can guide, but you can never give faith to someone. Therefore, passages in the Quran, many of them say that leave judgment to God only. So there is the notion of God's grace. And God's grace is the ultimate standard. So I have no right to say this one is going here or there. The most important is that I do work righteousness and leave the rest to God. So yes, there are many verses where it says, You have lakum dinukum waliyadeen. You have your deen, which is religion, and I have my deen. Let's work and compete in changing the world to become as the will of God wants to be. Okay. Father? Certainly with the Catholic Communion, the Catholic Church, we have a very special relationship with our Jewish brothers and sisters, our older brothers and sisters, elder brothers and sisters, as John the 23rd and certainly John Paul II said. And so there's a great meeting of mind and heart because our faith comes from the Torah, it comes from the Hebrew Scriptures, it comes from the Old Testament. It motivates us for our actions, for our laws, for our belief system. And we have a unique relationship with the Muslim community because we are part of the, the Abrahamic communion. We share Abraham as our common father in faith. And so in terms of our relationship with all other faith communities and traditions, with our Jewish brothers and sisters and our Muslim brothers and sisters, we have a unique, tight, close friendship. We focus very clearly on those things that unite us. The love of the one God, the ability to speak about that God in public, to stand for God in a culture that oftentimes tries to erase the memory of God. And that's one of our big challenges today. And the other gift that we, we share together is the love of life, the protection of life, the significance and role of families, of new life. We stand on the side of life. And I think Jews, Christians, and Muslims particularly have a unique mission and role in upholding the dignity and sacredness of all human life and of natural law. And so with these faith communities, we have a very close bond. We have many differences, but we have many things that unite us together. And I think it's that common front that the church, particularly since the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s, has encouraged, has fostered, 
through dialogues, through concrete actions. It was mentioned before about um, out-of-the-cold programs, food banks, all kinds of joint things that I've had the privilege of doing with the men that are here. The three of us work closely on World Youth Day from different angles, hosting the Pope and one million kids that came here not too long ago, and it was a joint effort. And so we welcome dialogue. We also welcome the ability and freedom to say, this is what unites us, and these are the things that are points that do not unite us. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. I'm Pedro Guevara Mann, and we're listening to a special Salt and Light Radio featuring part two of a panel discussion with Rabbi Aaron Flansreich, Father Thomas Rosica, and Imam Hamid Slimi. The panelists just answered a question regarding how each of the three faiths deals with tolerance and acceptance of other religions. The moderator, Stephen Skirka, will now ask the second question. I'd like to ask you um, a question directed to how your religion manifests itself outside the place of worship. And I, and I appreciate some of you have already alluded to this theme. But we have a world that's marked with uh, oppression, racism, famine, war. How do each of your respective religions approach issues of social justice and community and humanity? Would you like to take this question first? Sure, I think for the Catholic Church, we have been involved from the very beginning in the works of caring for the sick and the poor. Many hospitals throughout the world and hospital systems have started from the Catholic Church. The care of widows, orphans, and children, uh, of people that are poor, refugees, has been part of our mission, is part of our mission. I know right now in this very city, in this Archdiocese of Toronto, there's a tremendous effort underway to welcome Iraqi refugees. Christians who are trying to escape from a terrible situation of persecution. We are also very involved in the educational system in this province. It's no secret, the separate schools, the the Catholic schools. It's a problem for some. It's a blessing for the rest of us. And there are many non-Catholics attending those schools because of the quality of education. In terms of practical social justice, it takes place 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in so many different ways that are often not publicized. And so social justice, the Good Samaritan parable, is really what identifies us. They will know them by the way they love one another and treat the most vulnerable among them. Rabbi or Imam? Social justice. Well, um, there's probably a lot of different ways you can look at it. On one hand, um, look at all, I I don't know, you think about people who make us laugh. I mean, the Jewish comedians, uh, Woody Allen and Seinfeld, Adam Sandler and others, the ability for people to laugh across the stream at life and whatnot are, are wonderful ways of teaching us about how to enjoy life and be tolerant for each other. On a, on a serious side of things, I can make jokes about Jewish lawyers, about Jewish doctors. When I was a kid growing up uh, in New York, across the street, we had, uh, we had a wonderful Italian family named the Benedettos. And uh, he used to brag and say to me, I have a Jewish lawyer, I have a Jewish doctor, I have a Jewish accountant. And when I became a rabbi, and now I have a rabbi. Um, and so the, uh, the involvement in Jewish, in, excuse me, in human life, being in, ter- in terms of either advocating for human rights or protecting human life, 
I think is deeply ingrained in Jewish life. There's an odd statistic, and I'll share it with you. Jews currently, tragically, sadly, and mysteriously, account for less than a quarter of 1% of the entire world's population. That's a quarter of 1% of the entire world's population. And yet, over 33% of all the Nobel Prize laureates have been Jews. Israel is the only country in this world to have entered the 21st century with a net gain in trees. The state of Israel has the largest per capita of patents, engineers, doctors, and books published in the world. Social justice is accomplished not only through the care of human bodies, but through human souls. Education, not merely written books, but also the expanse of the creativity of the human mind, the ability to laugh, and the ability to cry. Those are the things that make life worth living. You don't measure human wealth by GDP or by the sheer volume of what the output of factories are. Real value in human life is the measurement of art and science, of creativity and human brilliance. And I think the Jews have contributed greatly in that regard. Rabbi, I just want to caution you that uh, jokes about Jewish lawyers are not permitted at this program. I, I only said it because you were here, Stephen. Okay, okay. I won't tell everyone what I do for a living. Yes, Imam Salim. Well, this is actually a tough question because um, faith, if it's not lived, if it, there is no life, it's just restricted to uh, between four walls, then it, it defeats the purpose of creation. We're here to live. We're here to manifest something. We need to show something in our actions, our relationships with our families, with our neighbors. That's where faith shows itself. And that's why in Islam, the acts of worship are only called pillars of the faith. They're only pillars of Islam. But the real Islam is to enjoin good and forbid evil, to establish justice, to seek knowledge. And our history is filled with that. We changed the world one time. But what happened to the Muslim world? 80% in some countries, Muslim countries, do not know how to write or read. 50%. What can you imagine about this? Uh, the, the people who went, even the people who call themselves religious scholars are misguiding and misleading people because when you have a person of a, of, of, of a, of stature, of, of a position of mufti, a great position, that you are the counsel, you're the person who tells people what is right and what is wrong when it comes to the law. You tell to the Egyptian people that they are wrong and they should listen to Mubarak to keep the peace and stability of Egypt? Well, that's not the Islam I believe Muhammad was teaching. I believe that is a very dangerous way of misguiding people. Yes, accepting justice, accept humility, accept oppression, accept secret services knocking your door in the middle of the night and wrapping, blindfolding you and taking you. This is the reality. What I am glad about what's happening in the Muslim world these days, finally, you guys, can see what's really happening. Finally, I'm rejoicing and celebrating that finally you're seeing the reality. Thanks to these protests. And that you see now, the religion is not what the pictures come. Unfortunately, every time we see um, CTV or CBC or any Canadian media or US media for that matter, 
and then they show you uh, a terrorist attack or a bomb or a threat or something happened. They show you people praying in a mosque. Many times they go to our mosque to show us praying and then they take that footage and then bad news. So people, of course, subliminally speaking, they are actually fed that the, the people who do the bowing and the praying and the praises, the Muslims, are the people who are bombing. And this is the reality, unfortunately, that we live in. But Islam is about justice, seeking justice. But bottom line, you have to have the bottom line. The bottom line is dignity. If we go below human dignity, even religion has no saying. You have to have sec to secure dignity. And it starts from dignity, and the highest objective is, in our belief, is to be a true, we say, Khalifa, representative of God on earth. To gain that title, stewards, as we say, of God, the stewardship. So we start, the minimum is dignity. When you don't have proper living, and you tell people you should pray to God, yes, we pray, but at the same time, we need jobs, we need to get married, we need to live, we need to eat. These are fundamentals. Once shaken, once taken out, no matter what religious message you're going to talk about, it will not be relevant to people. So yes, religion is more than prayer. It's actually more than 95% uh, of it is beyond prayer. It's action. It's enjoying good, establishing the principles and the values that we all agree on, the natural way we spoke about earlier. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. Salt and Light Radio is also heard at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. We're listening to part two of a panel discussion from the Beth Shalom Synagogue in Toronto. We just heard from each of the panelists speaking about social justice, community, and humanity. The following question comes from one of our webcast viewers. I really get a kick out of doing this for the first time. I think we should ask the leaders to talk about forgiveness in their own religions. Uh, Mom Salimi, would you like to deal with that first? If you recall a few minutes ago, I know you had a lot of food for thought, but I said that God Almighty says, I am forgiven you, don't despair. And we do accept people to be sinners, <coughs> starting from the people who stand on the pulpits. There is no holy person. Maybe the prophets, maybe even them, they erred to a certain level, not in transmitting the message from God, but in their daily life, they underestimated or overestimated or expected or this or that. We read that in the Bible. But what we know is that God is very forgiving. And he said it clearly in the Quran in many places. I forgive every single sin, except one sin he says he doesn't forgive according to the Quran. It's called shirk, which is to worship other than him. And you have similar things in the, in the Bible. So yes, God forgives very much. Not only he forgives, he forgives what people cannot forgive. Because we don't forgive one another, but he forgives more what people can forgive. Father? I think forgiveness, as I mentioned in my presentation, is at the heart of the preaching of Jesus and the gospel message of Jesus. Uh, he forgives those who persecute him. He teaches people to forgive throughout the parables. 
and he leaves that as a legacy and also the, the mission, the mitzvah given to each of us to forgive. However, forgiveness is not an easy thing as we know. It's not kiss and make up, it's not shake hands, it's not a photo opportunity. I think that Jesus is showing us that forgiveness is a conscious decision of the mind. And the longest journey that we'll ever have to make is from the mind to the heart. And though we may decide to forgive consciously and with our mind, we take the rest of our life to put that forgiveness into practice. Because forgiveness does not mean forgetting what's been done to us or forgetting that we've, what we've perpetrated on others. However, it remains the distinguishing characteristic and hallmark of the Christian life, to forgive. And the past Sundays in our gospel readings in church, we've had the explanation of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, as it's called. There's the lovely Beatitudes a couple weeks ago, and now we're into the hardcore explication and explanation of that. And two weeks ago, we had a whole Sunday to reflect in church on what the cost of forgiveness is all about. We have wonderful heroes and heroines in our tradition that have embodied that. John Paul II, in many of your minds, is somebody who forgave his assassin. We saw the scenes of that when Aliaga was taken into the prison, and he forgave him. Whether Aliaga believed that is another story, but the fact is John Paul II was simply imitating his lord and master and offered us an example. Rabbi? Um, I think it's impossible to talk about forgiveness without talking about um, social justice. In other words, there are things that I cannot forgive for that require justice. In other words, when people do some things, there is no capacity to forgive them in the eyes of Judaism because there are legal remedies that have to be brought to bear. So, for example, in the case where, God forbid, somebody is murdered, I cannot forgive the person who murdered somebody. That's out of my hands. I didn't create the life. I'm not capable of forgiving it either. But talking more about sin in, in general, I want to explain something to you. And it's a very interesting teaching in the context of Judaism. Does anybody know amongst the, uh, amongst the, um, the Inuit how many different words there are for snow? There are about 32 different words for snow, which is... Obviously, I guess if you live in snow your entire life, you begin to discern the different subtleties of snow. So in Hebrew, in biblical Hebrew, there are more than 17 different words for sin. The most common of which is the word chet. The word chet generally means sin, but here's what it really means. In its earliest etymological or its earliest sources... The word hate refers to when, a, when someone shoots an arrow and misses the target. Human life, in the eyes of Judaism, is not defined by sinning and not sinning. We understand that human life will be punctuated by failures, by mistakes. But the point of Judaism is not to find the answers or, or the solutions. It's to grow. And the things, the errors that I make in life are the things that should spur me to grow as a human being. And so I would say to you that the reason why we have the failures, the sins, the missing of the targets, so to speak, is because those are the things that set me back from God and then also I am re-energized, so to speak. I am redirected towards God once again. It is a part of the cycle of human life. Because every great success has the foundation at some point of having had a failure.
Join us every week for Salt and Light Radio as we bring you inspiring messages, insightful interviews, interesting commentary and music, plus news updates and Catholic event listings from across Canada. Salt and Light Radio Saturdays at 10 p.m. Eastern and 7 Pacific on the Catholic Channel, Sirius Satellite Radio 159 and XM Radio 117. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. This is a special Salt and Light Radio from the Beth Shalom Synagogue in Toronto of a panel discussion titled This Is My God with Rabbi Aaron Flansreich, Imam Hamid Slimi, and Father Thomas Rosica, each talking about what their religions teach about God. They have just answered a question about forgiveness. Now we get to the heart of the discussion. This is a question from the audience, and I'm reading it exactly as it was written to all three faiths. Do all three faiths believe in the same God? Would any of you like to uh, tackle that question first? From our end, I read again the verses uh, saying that who's the God we believe in? Is the God of Abraham, God of Moses, God of Jesus? Same God, the Creator and the one who is the most wise. Uh, we don't say, as the Jews and Christians say, about that he created um, man in his image, because although there is a tradition saying something like that and authentic, still because of the theological debates over anthropomorphism, who God is and does he look like humans and this? So that's called anthropomorphism, which, of course, something known to you. The idea of God, how do we picture him and, 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 and have this image of him? And we struggle with that even as little children. How does God look like? You know, is, does he have a, a, we were children, does he have a long white beard and a white hat or white turban? It's a cultural upbringing. But we were taught not to think every time we think of God like this, he's different than the image we put in our mind. So that's how our mothers, you know, get us out of this dilemma. But we were told that the Christians and the Jews worship God because of the Quran has the stories of Moses. Actually, the longest story and the most repeated story in the Quran is the story of Moses and Pharaoh, the story of Moses and, you know, um, the Israelites. And actually, we fast for Passover. We follow a lunar calendar, so we go back 12 days every year back. So, uh, and, and, and the most important thing is we don't have disconnect from the Jewish and Christian uh, tradition when it comes to God and Moses, God and Jesus. There are differences, as you said, but the same God, the only God, the one, the light upon light, uh, without attaching any imagery about him. Yes. We believe strongly is the same God, no other God. Because sometimes people create some nonsense, you know, that Muslims worship the moon God because they use the crescent for calculation. They follow the lunar calendar. All of this is nonsense. It's the same God, as I read earlier, the God of Abraham and Moses and all the prophets after him. Would anyone else like to speak to that topic? You know, I'm often asked, I was asked here when I came to the synagogue the first time, a woman asked me, uh, which God are you going to pray to? Are you praying to our God? I think it was a very innocent question, and I was asked in the mosque, when I had to speak in the mosque for World Youth Day, 
Are you praying to Allah today, or are you going to pray to your God? Or is it just the big same generic God? And it's not the same generic God. I pray to the God and Father of Jesus Christ, and that God and Father of Jesus Christ, the Lord, the God, is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I think in a very simplistic world and very simplistic way of explaining things, people would say, Allah, Adonai, God, the Father, it's all the same thing. And I don't think it is, and I think you referred to that quite beautifully by saying the anthropomorphic qualities, the human qualities that we as Christians and that Jews would often place upon God as God, the maternal qualities, the paternal qualities, are not, are not present in the way that I studied the Quran and the way I studied uh, Islam. And so, no, I don't think it's the same God. That being said, I think the prophetic tradition that has inspired Jews, Christians, and Muslims animates us to act and turns us to adore the one God. I'm not saying that there are three different gods, but it's, we stand for monotheism, and that is a huge gift, and we have to fight for that by offering the one God to the world. But I do not pray to Allah. I do not consider my God with some of the same qualities that Islam does. There's a greater affinity or relationship, I think, between Christians and Jews simply because of the historical development of our faith traditions. And I say that with great respect. I think the very nature of uh, dialogue, and I think we're kind of touching something serious in dialogue, is what makes us different. In other words, sometimes you go to interfaith uh, dialogues and everyone's singing all the same tune, it's a big love-in, you know, and everyone's nice and happy and comfortable, and then we all go off and eat our cake. And the truth of the matter, and there will be cake, I promise. And, but I think uh, it's important to realize the issue that Father Rosica mentioned. Here's how I understand it. When you stare at something you can't fathom, everyone will see it differently. As I said to you before, I don't consider Judaism to be truer than in any of the other faiths. But I do know that the God that I believe in, which the inspiration of this God which gave birth to Judaism has also given birth to these other great religions, I know that this God does not have a name. I know that this God does not have ears nor a mouth. I know that it doesn't have a body. I know that this God doesn't move. And yet, despite the fact that this God says nothing, it is in every word. Despite that this God is nowhere, this God is everywhere. And my tradition, my faith, my religion, struggles, as I said before, with capturing the impossibility of it while refusing to let go of it despite that. We are not believing in all the same aspects of this God. The Christian tradition, faced with the impossibility of God, shapes something possible about God, I think, from a theological perspective. And Judaism simply stood at the impossible and said, and yet, we won't let go of this beauty. We'll accept the impossibility. And each of these different reactions to looking upon something unfathomable has given birth to these different responses. If you put them all together, you know what God hears? Music. They're all the instruments that play the music of God. And that's why we need all these different interpretations. They are critically, critically impo important to the survivability of the human race. 
but we have to play our instruments in tune. It's very important. Yeah. Visit the magnificent Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Walk in the footsteps of St. Bernadette in Navarre. Experience Perret le Monial through the Chapel of the Visitation and the Basilica of the Sacred Heart. And enjoy the famous food and wine of the region. Hello, bienvenue, welcome to Blessed Journeys France. As a friend of Salt and Light, take advantage of this trip that's been especially planned for you. Your participation will support the work of the Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation. For further details, including a full itinerary, sign-up sheet, and more, visit saltandlighttv.org slash blessedjourneys or call us at 1-888-302-7181. Bon voyage. Dave Wong from Critical Mass, and you're listening to Sultan Wright Sultan Wright Radio. <laughs> slipped into Asian mode there. Sorry. That was good. Because you, you you're just all about stardom Oops. and fame. You're listening and, to Salt and Light Radio, Series 159 XM. No, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel. On the Catholic Channel. Holy smokes. Okay. Go. This is Dave Wong from Critical Mass. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel on Sirius 159 on, and XM 117. Okay, dude. Ma- Mags did one take, so how about you do another one? Okay. And is Sirius 159, XM 117 fine? Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. Okay, you ready? Yep. Okay. So 159 and XM 117. Uh, let me know when you're ready. Ready. Go. This is Dave Wong from Critical Mass. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel on Sirius 159 and XM 117. Perfect. There you go. You got it. Okay. Nice. Salt and Light Radio can also be heard and downloaded at saltandlighttv.org and at iTunes. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so look us up. This special edition was recorded live at the Beth Shalom Synagogue in Toronto. The three panelists, Rabbi Flansreich, Imam Slimi, and Father Rosika, have just answered the hard question. Do you believe in the same God? Now, a question about young people. Okay, I'm going to introduce, um, using a moderator's prerogative, introduce an excellent question from the audience with this observation. Two of the best-selling books, I'm not sure why they're in the non-fiction section of the bookstores, but two of them, uh, one by Richard Dawkins, one by Christopher Hitchens, relate really mock religion, mock people who believe uh, in the existence of God. And these are hugely bestsellers and, and uh, followed by many people. And it seems to me, just as an observer, that religion seems to have fallen out of vogue in many people. So here's the excellent question from the audience. How does each faith embrace younger people and plan to draw them back to the core of a life of religious observation? Father? 
Repeat the first line. How, How does each face embrace younger people and plan to draw them back to the core of a life of religious observation? That's an excellent question. That's been the story of my life and the priesthood for the past 25 years and 10 years before that of preparing. Um, I took my lead in all of this by watching John Paul II and what he did. I think John Paul II, and he's going to be blessed, he's going to be beatified on May the 1st, which is the last step before someone is proclaimed a saint in our tradition. John Paul, and I knew him personally, uh, John Paul said, when we're dealing with our present generation, it can be very difficult to deal with at times. You can either confront it head on, or you can go above their heads and reach out to young people. And what he did over the course of nearly 27 years was to reach out to young people through an instrument that's come to be known as World Youth Days. And he's guaranteed a future, a tradition, and a hope for the Catholic Church. How did he do that? Through very simple things. Here was an old man, not a rock star, uh, not an Olympic athlete, who in the end, when the world saw him die before their very eyes, in the end became one of the most powerful figures for young people of every religious tradition. Because he defied the rules, he defied the laws, he defied the, uh, the cynics, and he bonded with them. His funeral was the biggest World Youth Day in history. I would have preferred directing that one because it was spontaneous and quick than the complex one with our, our situation here. But the fact is, he looked forward to another generation and he held the bar very high for moral, moral living, for social justice, for peace, for marriage, for families, for life. And the result are we have a Catholic church that's growing. This business about churches being empty is not true. I invite you to go to the suburbs of Toronto. It's murder in the parking lot on Sundays. The churches are full. People are there. And we have to constantly reinvent and rebrand ourselves as faith communities to reach out to the next generation. And that is happening in the Catholic Church, and I have full confidence to say that. We reach out through simply telling the same story over and over again in new ways because it's a beautiful story. Well, you see, that's a, a challenge for many religions. You go to different places, usually people above 40 who attend services, and that's a fact uh, worldwide. However, um, um, I have to say, um, just as you're talking, thinking about our congregation, actually we do have a significant attendance of youth. We do have youth activities and programs. And I believe, not to brag about it compared to other places within the Muslim community, I think we allow the rule of common sense. Common sense. And also, as I said earlier, we're more into orthodox rather than orthopraxy. And I mean by... If you have a correct belief, which is a very simple belief, the oneness of God and the belief in the mercy of God, and uh, not to be judgmental, not to put yourself higher you know, than others, you're humble, you have these qualities that we all agree on, then the orthopraxy part of it, like the correct practice, is, becomes uh, something easy to deal with, and it's about learning, and it's left to the person himself or herself to decide whether they want to practice this part of the religion or not. Having said that, uh, we have produced actually many literatures and, and, and videos on, on common sense. We say Islam for common sense. Some folks here present with us tonight have contributed immensely in it. What we addressed is that there are questions now asked about the youth, uh, by the youth. Questions of 
what is spirituality and what is religion? Do I have to be framed within a certain frame to be closer to God? How about my aspirations to become this or that? Does God listen to my prayers? Uh, I want to do this. So we're challenged. Uh, we should move from the package item religion to the gracious religion. And because we want people, traditionally speaking, we have a set of rituals that make you a good Muslim. So we're thinking and judging based on these rituals and ABCs. Therefore, you're good if you do ABCDFG. And we're underestimating and not celebrating many great things that these youth do actually in life. And we are looking at them because they're alien to the religious quarters. They are not done usually within the four walls of the place of worship. Therefore, it's irrelevant. And that's the attitude of many people. And I have to acknowledge we have that in our community. I am myself challenged, myself by my own congregation, when I do things that may seem not that important. Because it's not part of the ABCs of the rituals. And people don't appreciate them. Even the interfaith dialogues, 1970s, there were very, very few people. Some people criticized imams who go and attend a service with a rabbi or, 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 or a priest. Now it's changing. The youth, actually, we have one of the largest dialogues going on now between the Catholic Church and the Muslim community. It's a weekly encounter, uh, monthly, <coughs> sorry, encounter between the students uh, from the University of Toronto and, and, and New York University and the students from the Catholic, Catholic students. So we have to uh, 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 differentiate and prioritize what is really principle and what are the things that can be changed, can be accommodated. Otherwise, if we're not flexible, as the Prophet himself said, you will be broken. Rabbi? I think uh, Judaism is in the midst of um, um, a very difficult moment. I think that, um, and there's always a wonderful things to find in difficult moments. I think that uh, this is, without question, one of the greatest epochs in Jewish history. Um, there are more universities uh, in North America with uh, Jewish studies departments than uh, in any other time. Jewish bookstores are filled with uh, writings. Um, the strength of Jewish identity has been fueled by the extraordinary success of the State of Israel through the, uh, the reclamation of a homeland after 2,000 years. All these things have contributed to an extraordinary moment in Jewish life. And yet uh, we find ourselves um, outside of Israel in these communities challenged by a whole host of issues. And a part I think we have to understand what the changing role in society is, what it's like to be a Jew uh, who doesn't live in a Jewish homeland and yet still maintains a Jewish identity and a sense of pride in having a homeland. I think also that we as, uh, broadest, as, as uh, broader communities um, of uh, Jewish houses, houses of worship uh, in Toronto and throughout Canada, we're beginning to understand the role that technology can play in terms of communicating our message um, to different people and the different age groups. Ultimately, I believe this. I believe that one of the greatest things facing our children today is boredom. Our kids are bored. That's why you see them walking down the streets, crossing streets with iPhones and iPods in their ears. I'm telling you, it scares the heck out of me when I see these kids walking around. Our kids are bored, and we're bored, by the way. 
and we're looking for all these different stimuli in some way to avert ourselves from what we really need to pay attention to. And that is, of course, we need a meaningful life. And so I have great faith that despite all the other intrusions that the greater society plays with our children, that they will come to search for meaning in their life. And when they do, we'll be here. Hi, I'm Chris Dimitrenko, inviting you to join us for Salt and Light Radio, your new Canadian Catholic radio show, every Saturday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 Pacific, on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. I'm Pedro Guevara Mann, and we're listening to a special Salt and Light Radio featuring part two of a panel discussion with Rabbi Aaron Flansreich, Father Thomas Rosica, and Imam Hamid Slimi. The panelists just answered a question regarding how each of the three faiths welcomes young people. Now to the final question. I'm going to, uh, again, exercise my right as moderator to ask one last question, and I want to end it on a very favorable and positive note, and so I've chosen this question from the stack of questions in that spirit, and here it is. How do you think that charitable and fraternal organizations from our faith traditions get, can get to know one another better and work together for good? Father? It's already happened. I can tell you when I was chaplain of the University of Toronto at the Newman Center, it was the Jewish community that approached us and we formed the first out-of-the-cold Jewish and Christian uh, communities working together, not just providing social services and care of the poor, but a wonderful fraternity that sprung up. And that's multiplied over joint efforts in food banks, in efforts for peace, in joining in common protests at times against unjust situations, and in very concrete activities on a daily basis. That's certainly a part of who we are and I know I've tried to foster that in everything I've done as a priest. Thank you. So. Imam Slimi? It's a big question. And uh, how do we manifest uh, what we speak about tonight? It's in the action. We all, all the religions tell us that um, being merciful is a good thing. Brings you closer to God. Caring for others. Uh, we have poverty, eradicating poverty is a virtue, a great act of piety. Uh, practically speaking, I'm sure myself, Rabbi and Father, we are involved. Uh, we just had a meeting a week ago. We are involved in a campaign for organ donation. We're working with Trillium Gift of Life, campaigning <coughs> and, of course, lobbying our communities to line up and sign the donor cards. And this is one thing we're doing. We're doing uh, blood services, working with Canadian blood services. We meet very often in Habitat for Humanity for our Faith Build Day. We go build homes for the poor He's people. He's good with the hammer too, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, you see, the, these are the things we do together to express our faith. And uh, trust me, I'm not saying this just because we're in this context. You will be lifted very high spiritually in these interfaith programs. Um, working with Judy, she's here from Jewish community and she's doing wonderful things. And, and we're about to travel 
Muslim, Jewish, and Christian leaders to Middle East. And they visit and get to learn and report. I had the opportunity to go and visit, you know, the Middle East in a tour last year, uh, two years ago, and I, I learned what I never saw before. And uh, I never read in the books. So there are things we do together, but bottom line is about care, mercy, poverty. Uh, Catholics, we work with them. We're learning from them. Honestly, we're learning from you uh, how to service the poor and the people without shelter. We're learning. We're actually with the Scott Mission, with different groups in Toronto, because we're a new community. The Jewish community has been here for over 300 years. The Catholics have been here since the beginning. So we're just, most of the Muslims here have come, most of the majority, although some have come in 1800s, the Syrians, the Lebanese, but majority have come after 1965 when immigration was open. So we're catching you guys. That's all I can say. All right, Rabbi, there's the challenge. Go ahead. Okay, so uh, a famous European rabbi who lived about 150 years ago said this. Most people care about their bodies and everybody else's soul. But the real challenge in life is to worry about your soul and everybody else's body. In the Torah it says, Love your neighbor as yourself. And that the truth of the matter is, as the great American writer Henry James once said, there are three rules to a godly life. Be kind, be kind, and be kind. As Hillel, the famous rabbi, said, the rest is commentary. Go and learn it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, join me in thanking Imam Hamid Slimi, Father Thomas Rizika, and Rabbi Aaron Flansworth. Thank you to everyone who's watched on the webcast. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. Thank you very much for everyone who has attended. The rabbi asked me to make one announcement. The, uh, the sanctuary is open. All the lights are on. It is a beautiful, beautiful sanctuary with remarkable stained glass windows. Uh, everyone is invited to go upstairs and to, uh, struggle, uh, to stroll and tour through. It might be a struggle getting up there. And uh, if there's any questions, please feel free to, to come to me or to the other members of the Jewish community. Most importantly, I want to continue to see that we do this and we visit each other's houses of worship. We, we have a night prayer. Night prayer. We would like to pray it here in the sanctuary. Absolutely. We pray. It's uh, called Isha prayer. It's a night prayer. Mm -hmm. And uh, everyone is looking at me now. When are we going to pray? Okay. So, so as so, we would say in the language of the Jews, they need to daven. So <laughs> um, you're more than invited to... Daven here, pray here, uh -huh. or you can go upstairs to the sanctuary, wherever you would like. Yeah, wherever there is a... Like carpet. A carpet, yeah. Okay. Yes, absolutely. They want to take a photograph. Okay. okay. And uh, just to point out, in our religion, the rabbi always gets the last word. <laughs>our webcast this evening live from Beth Shalom Synagogue in Toronto our uh, panelists tonight, tonight were uh, Catholic priest Father Thomas Rosica and uh, he is the uh, CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Television 
He was joined by Imam Hamid Slimi, who is the chairman of the Canadian Council of Imams. He's also the president of the Faith and Life Network. And uh, they were hosted by Rabbi Imam, sorry, Rabbi Aaron Flansreich, who is the senior rabbi here at uh, Beth Shalom Synagogue. Now, if you missed any portion of this webcast um, and you'd like to watch it again, you just have to return to this very same webpage, sultanlighttv.org slash thisismygod, and you'll be able to watch the webcast uh, again as it will stay on this uh, site immediately after concluding this evening. If you want to find out more about the activities here at Beth Shalom Synagogue, visit them at their website, bethshalom.net. To find out more about the, uh, the work that Imam Slimi is doing, you can visit his website at faithoflife.net. And, of course, to find out more about the work done by Salt and Light Catholic Television, you can stay on this website. Uh, look around, saltandlighttv.org. And uh, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for your questions. We're sorry that we were not able to address all the questions, but I hope that this has been a beginning to a continued dialogue between these three great faiths. As I said earlier with my opening, we believe that interfaith dialogue is very important, at least in the Christian belief. So thank you very much for being with us. Have a great night. Till next time. That concludes part two of this special edition of Salt and Light Radio from the Beth Shalom Synagogue in Toronto. We heard from Rabbi Aaron Flansreich, Imam Hamid Slimi, and Father Thomas Rosica. They each answered questions about their faith, about their belief in God, and how all three faiths can work together. If you'd like to comment on what you heard today on our program, please write to us, radio at saltandlighttv.org. If you missed any portion of this program or to listen to any other Salt and Light Radio programs, you can download the podcast off iTunes. Just search for Salt and Light Radio or visit us at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. If you're interested in watching the video that was made of this panel discussion, you can watch it at saltandlighttv.org slash thisismygod. Salt and Light Radio is part of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation, dedicated to bring light to the world through media. We have a ton of media resources, a great blog at saltandlighttv.org slash blog, and a huge video library. Check it out, saltandlighttv.org. And don't forget, if you like what you hear on this program or have any suggestions for feature interviews or artists, write to us, radio at saltandlighttv.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this has been a special edition of Salt and Light Radio.